Okay, let's begin. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then our mouth was filled with laughter. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Shall come home with shouts of joy. Good morning, church. Isn't it great to be here? It is so good to be among the people of God. People that love God, that are that are committed to God, whom Christ Jesus is redeeming from a life of sin, setting us in the way of salvation. Isn't it great to be here? Listen, if you're visiting with us, uh, we hope you come back. If you live a long ways away, you're still welcome to come back every week. We will not mind if you drive a great distance to come here. No skin off our own. Obviously, I'm kidding. If if you're a long ways away, come here every time you can. If you're ever in this area, the mountains around are beautiful. We hope your worship with us is beautiful as well. And we hope you'll come here every time that you can. But I tell you, if you live here and you're visiting here, we want to meet you again and again. We would love for you to come back and join us in the walk together toward Jesus Christ. Because he is the very best way of life that there is. Following Jesus, it beats everything. It is the best way of life that there is. If you haven't started, we'd love to talk with you about why we do it. We really would. There is an old joke among preachers um, about what what do you do if you got to come forward? You know, how is the preacher supposed to do that? If he's, what is he supposed to offer the invitation, then walk halfway up the aisle and come back down and sit down? How do you do that? So preachers offer invitations all the time, but they can't do it. I've actually done it once Uh, in New England one time. I I preached a sermon that really hurt somebody. I didn't intend to, but they wouldn't tell me who it was. Just someone came and told me, there's somebody out there really offended. And I I gave the next week a really brokenhearted sermon where I, I was full of penance, and I, I, and I was brokenhearted with God. So I've done what I'm about to do one time before. <laughs> There's a reason I'm not standing up there this morning. I've got to do this. I've got to repent. Now, before I go any further, I am not guilty of some embarrassing, grievous sin, okay? I'm not having an affair. Uh, I haven't embezzled a bunch of church funds, and I haven't killed anybody. And not yet, I am a parent, but but I am guilty of misplaced confidence. I've put confidence in a bad place. Put it in myself. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you and I'm sorry to God. For that to make sense, I need to tell you a little story. Um, it was in uh, toward the end of 2015, we think. I'm not really sure because both me and the elder I did this with, we got fuzzy memories. 
But I sat in, with, uh, with one of the elders uh, on a sidewalk um, in the sunshine, and uh, he had brought a, a book to me, a book called Legacy Churches. He actually hadn't brought the book. He'd brought uh, an instrument that's in the back of that book that helps you to make an assessment of your church. The book is about you know, the reality that if you go across this country, you will encounter dying church after dying church. I mean, just all over America that's going on. And the book is about, look, if you can turn around, you should. But if you can't, what do you do with your resources? That's what that book's about. So that you make sure that your resources move into a future that blesses the kingdom. The, the instrument in the back of that book is meant to help you say, well, where are we? You know, where's our church? How are things sitting? Zelda and I took it. And honestly, it's a pretty good instrument, but it didn't offer us good news. Looking at where things stand and, and, and how we're doing as church, it suggested that we were really in trouble. The uh, thing has like a section for birth and adolescence and maturity and then plateau and then decline and then dropout and then death. And the numbers put us somewhere toward between decline and dropout. Not in a good place. Folks, my doctorate, the actual name of the cohort group that my doctorate is, is Spiritual Renewal in a Postmodern World. The, the, what it's about is about renewing churches. I've taught classes on that. I've taught master's level classes on congregational renewal. So when I saw that, I said, well, I know what that needs. I, I know what this, this church in this state needs. I hadn't seen it before I sat with that elder and we did this. You know, but once I saw that, I was like, well, okay. I don't want to have to do that. So... Uh, we, you may recall, uh, I taught a class here. If you were here in 2016, in March of 2016, I taught a class on congregational renewal. Do you remember that? Remember the, the curve? Remember that? And what, what the, uh, that curve represented, for those of you who weren't here, is the things that the, that the people of God repeatedly throughout Scripture, I mean, it's a pattern. It's, it's the will of God. This is how renewal happens is that people come to terms with the reality that, that they are in an unacceptable place. Things are not okay. And that at least, they're at least they are a contributing factor to that reality. And so there's the recognition of unacceptability, and there's repentance, and there's seeking after God. And then God supplies renewal. That was the class. I mean, and I, I pushed that hard. Do you remember? Um, the leadership of the church, we meet regularly to talk about the state of the church. And for the last couple of years, I would suggest this, this conversation has been at least a part of what we've been chewing on over and over and over again. It's been a perplexing and difficult conversation. What do we do? to bless this church. 
How do we as leadership lead us out of where we are to where a better place is? What do we need to be doing? And I, Dr. Brown, have had a lot of confidence in myself in that, that I, I know what we need to do, and I've pushed hard. It's been a very perplexing conversation. Is that a fair description, guys? But the other thing is, you know, that biblical pattern I, I saw, I, I really thought, okay, well, that's what I need to, to bring the church to. I need to, to bring about repentance. And let me be clear what I mean by that, because what I don't mean is feel real awful about yourself. You know, what I don't mean is, is say, I am wretched, terrible sinner, and I need to be better. I don't mean that. The Greek word for repentance that Jesus uses in his preaching when he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, is metanoia. And it means rethink. Think again. Put your mind again into the hands of God. Come, and part of that's going to be dealing with flaws of the past and problem, but, but really it's about coming to God saying, God, I need you. That's the core of repentance. And if I may explain some of my preaching. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard me talk about song differences? <laughs> the response across the room was, oh crud, this again. I've heard that. Let me tell you what I was doing. There's shorthand there. Because really, what what I was doing was saying, okay, during a certain time in this church's history, there was a time when worship differences led to real differences among us and difficulty among us. And what I wanted to do was to bring us to the point where we remembered that love of my style of worship is always secondary to love of my fellow Christian. Always. Always. It's got to be. If love of my style of worship trumps love of my fellow Christian, I'm ready to throw my Christian away, then I've thrown away God. I have departed from God's ways if I like my way more. So that's, and I was trying to do that gently. But it wasn't working. What I, what I heard was, okay, we got it. Move on. And I heard that at different levels of frustration. And I'm like, Ugh. so I doubled down and I doubled down and I doubled down. No wonder you're sick of it. I'm sick of it. I would be if I were you. Why did I do that? Because I put my hope in the wrong place. As if I could lead us through this myself. I've come to terms with that in the last month or so. Because I'll tell you what my, what my sin, I, I don't think my analysis of what's necessary is wrong, but my response to what I've been doing with it probably is. And I'll tell you why. I've been depressed. I'm sure that doesn't come as much of a surprise to anybody sitting here who's been sitting with me long enough. Because I thought that when I got up there, you couldn't see it. But I think it's been leaking out. My worry and my concern over this church and my 
feeling like a failure and like I'm unable to help us right our course and change direction. But of course I'm a failure. Of course I am. I am not Christ Jesus our Lord. And our confidence belongs in Him and in Him alone. And folks, it is possible for this church to renew. Absolutely and entirely. I know there are some of us here going, why do we need to renew? This is a great church. It is a great church. We're, we're, this is a great church. But folks, our attendance records tell us a certain kind of story. I mean, it really does. In 2010, do you know that this church was over 200 regularly? Do you know that we have not seen 200 since 2011? Period. You know, I came here in 2013, and I think there were people who put hope that when the new preacher comes, we'll arrest this thing and turn it around. We have not. We have not. We have continued in decline. Some of my closest friends don't worship here anymore. And that hurts. That hurts. We are not in a good place. But having a preacher who's not in a good place doesn't help us because my confidence needs to rest in him and that's why I need to come forward. Because our bad story has been putting me in a bad place. How do I find my way out of that? How do we as church find our way out of that? <laughs> Let me tell you one reason I have absolute hope in some ways deeper than I've had in a long time. For the last, I think it's seven, it might be eight weeks, our elders have been meeting on Wednesday night before our Wednesday night meal to pray. And to pray specifically about this. About this. We don't pray for health needs. We don't pray for people's problems. We do that in our elders' meetings. We absolutely do. You got a problem, bring it to the elders. They will pray for you. But that's not what these prayers are. These prayers are specifically for the life of the church. We are crying out to God who can do what we can't. Who can do what I can't. Which, honestly, and that's why this sermon series, right now, usually on the screen, there'd be a picture of a campfire. The reason for this whole sermon series is because I think this is our only hope, folks. If the trajectory continues the way we're going, and, you know, God doesn't have to do anything. There were people who died in the desert because that was God's will. There were people who died in exile because that was God's will. But I hope for better things for here or I wouldn't still be here. I have... Hope. Because this church loves God. I have hope because this church is committed to Jesus Christ our Lord. 
and our hope is God. Period. I'm not going to try and convince this church to repent anymore. If it needs to happen, it needs to happen. The Lord will do it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that now, believe it or not. As I tell this story, I'm not. If the Lord wants, if the Lord agrees with me, if I'm right about this, I'm just going to pray about it. Because the Lord can do it. The Lord absolutely can convict. The Lord can move. The Lord can save. The Lord can refresh. The Lord can soften the hardened heart. The Lord can rescue from the disaster. The Lord can overcome because it's what He does. Because He was defeated. Make no question about it. He was dead and gone. And He's alive. Because that's our God. And there is no such thing as hopeless with the Lord our God. Now, why am I doing that today? Well, if you want to look with me on this prayer guide, in the front of it is our text. And it is this text that, li- that leads me and reminds me of where our hope lies. And it's my job this morning to remind you, it isn't me or your elders or you. It is the Lord. God is our hope. And that is true in all things. God is your hope in your marriage. God is your hope in your job. God is your hope in your character. God is your hope in your repentance. God is your hope for your church. God is your hope because God is the one who restores and renews and saves. And there is no other Savior than Him. Look at the text. He says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. What is he talking about? What dream does he mean? Well, if, uh, if I'm right about this psalm, it was probably written after exile. The restoration of the fortunes of Zion are never more profound than they are during the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so the people who would write this psalm would be writing it after that's happened, looking back on it and remembering. And folks, that's an important thing to do. To remember the good times. Because when you remember them, you, the remembering the work of God is never just like remembering a good movie that you saw. Remembering the work of God puts you back into the faithfulness that you had during that time. That shocked faithfulness comes upon you again. Anybody who looked at the city of Jerusalem during the exile, one year before the proclamation of Cyrus that sent the exiles back home, anybody who looked at it would have said, there is no hope. This city is gone. It is fallow. It will never return. Anyone who looked at it would have said so. And anybody who experienced its restoration would have said, is this really happening? Are we really home again? Have we come back home? Have we found our way to our purpose? Have we been restored to our birthright? Are we in our homeland? Really, are we here? the answer would have been a resounding yes. 
Well, what did they do to get there? Stayed alive. And that's all. God moved among them to restore them. And that is the hope. That God will lead us to exactly what we need in order for Him to do His work among us. That is our hope. That is our only hope. That is our hope. And listen to what that experience is like. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. This was so obvious that even unbelievers looked at that group of people and said, look, look, there's got to be a God there. There's got to be. Because look what's happening. Nobody survives exile. Exile is meant to destroy a people. You pull them out of their homeland. You pull them out of their culture. You absorb them into yours. That's what exile is for. And yet God restored an exiled people. It can't happen. It happened. And you've got to laugh at the wonder of what God does. You have to. You have to look at hopelessness and say, not with my God. No, sir. This absolutely can be overcome. But not by me. Not by you. By the Lord our God. That's where our hope is. And they said, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. When we remember. When we settle our hearts into our past. When we remember what it was like when God was thriving among us. Do you remember? Do you remember the ministries you couldn't wait to be a part of? Do you remember the visitation that people did to go out to the home, the, the sick? Do you remember the work among the poor? Do you remember? Remember it because it's powerful and it makes you glad and it fills you with hope and that the impossible can, in fact, be overcome. But listen to the next line. Restore our fortunes. Let me ask you, who says that? Do you say that when things are going well? Uh-uh. You say that when trouble is obvious. You say that when danger is near. You say that when defeat rests in your heart and all around, and when you feel bad, when you're sad, when things that you wish are not present, but you want them. Oh, you want them again. You want to see the beauty of it move. And you say, God, restore. I'm not where I used to be. We are not what we once were. Work among us again. Please, God, restore us. Renew us. Revive us, O God. Fill each heart with Your love. You can do it. Restore us. Restore us. Like streams in the Negev. Whatever that means. No, we know what that means. The Negev is a big, a big desert in the southern side of Jerusalem, south of, of Jerusalem, down into the Sinai Peninsula. It's one of the driest places on the earth. There are three months out of the year where the average rainfall is zero. Nada. Upkis. There's none. You know, it never rains in June, July, and August in the Negev. And even when it does rain, it doesn't rain very much. You know, a trace here, it rains an average of like eight days during this month, four days during most months. Nothing. But, it does rain outside the Negev. It rains in the mountains that surround it, and that water's got to go somewhere, so it drains into that dry and parched land. 
And it always flows in the same places because there are these depressions in the earth that look like rivers but aren't. They're dry. There's nothing there. But the water always flows there. And sometimes if you're far enough away, you don't see the water. You don't actually see it. It's the way you know the water's there is the plants come shooting up out of the ground. The seeds that have been waiting for the water, these desert plants that are filled with flowers and filled with green, will come shooting up out of the ground. They last for a time and then they go away. And what this person is praying is, I don't have to see it, just restore me. Refresh me down inside. No one else has to need to know even that you're doing this. I just want to feel the life again. Bring me back to where I once was. May, there, may my life bloom. May there be life in me because my only hope for life is You. Lead me back to myself. Help me find You. And listen to the bizarre and amazing promises. He says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And I guess in a way, that's not all that surprising. You go out, you plant your seeds, and of course, when the harvest day comes, you're like, man, I'm so glad I got this. Of course you do. But listen to the next. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bring sheaves with him. Do you realize what that is? That's a miracle is what that is. Because what that dude did is they went out crying, they were sad, and they had stuff to plant in the ground. And on the same day, they got the harvest. You don't Harvest corn in May. You don't do that. But he did. He did. What they're saying is, you know, I look at my reality around me and it's filled with tears. It's hard. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I feel defeated. I feel thrown back. But God, if you want, if you will, today, can be the day that I harvest. I've still got the satchel of seed on my hip, but today can be the day that I harvest. Today can be that day, church. It can happen to us. Folks, there is no one beyond the resurrecting power of God. If He raised Jesus Christ from the dead, We are not dead. We are not beyond the power of God to refresh and restore and renew. We are entirely within His will. It's up to Him. So, what do we have to do with it? Folks, this is in your Bible for a reason. This is your job. This is your job. You pray and you ask for it. You beg God to restore us. And then you obey everything He puts on your heart. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. If He calls you into some greater participation, you do it. If He calls you into some unexpected service, you do it. If He calls you into something that you don't want to do, you do it. Because usually the path to life is through death. The Christian way, that's what it is. 
Jesus Christ says, take up a cross. Crosses are not things we want. If you do the praying, then He will lead you to the restoring. And the restoring is likely to be through a path that's unpleasant. I mean, it doesn't have to be. It can be amazing and wonderful all the way around. And if that's what He asks of you, (laughs) I really hope you do that. But whatever it is, you obey and you let Him do what He will. You know, I I would ask you to pray for me. This is a sermon where I've done as close to coming forward as a preacher's kind of allowed to do. Pray that I would have greater faith. Some of you have said to me, boy, it's got to be hard, you know, to see the church getting smaller. I know that's hard on you. And I'm like, I'm really sad that you see that in me. Because the truth is, that's only hard for my flesh. It is, it is hard. It is. But it's only hard for me as man. I feel like if I do what God wants, the results are in God's hands. And so I want to be more faithful, more able to trust the Lord. And to leave results in His hands. So I'm asking you to pray for your preacher. I won't give up doing good. And I'm asking you also to pray for your church. That we might be like streams in the Negev. That we might bloom again. That we might be filled with young families again. People my age younger than me, and people with teenagers to laugh together and have fun. That we might care for our younger folks. That we might have a mission in the world where we're caring for somebody, not us. Somebody outside of these walls that needs the love and the care of Jesus Christ. Pray that we might be restored. That we might be renewed. Pray this prayer this week. It may be that there's somebody in this room who also needs to... Oh, we got to pray it right now. Sorry, I started the invitation. We're going to pray through this. Let's pray it again. And as you read, pray these words. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then our mouth was filled with laughter. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. shall come home with shouts of joy. O God, hear our prayer. And please bless Your people. Folks, if, if you need to do what I've done, and it's entirely possible you do, you know, maybe it's got to do with what we've been looking at here. 
you need to repent of your participation in this church in some way. And if that's you, okay, we want to hear it. You will be loved no matter what. No matter what. There is no such thing as shame when people are covered in the blood of Christ. It may be that you've got something going on in your life that you need to do what I've done, but it's got nothing to do with this. That's fine too. We want to care for you. We want to help you find your way to the will of God. And it may be that you're carrying a burden in your heart and in your life that hurts. And you need the care and the love of the people of God. And if that's you, this church wants to minister to you. We want to pray for you. And if you haven't started following Jesus Christ our Lord, there is no better day than today to begin your journey. If today you're subject to the invitation of God, why don't you join me? Come up here while we stand and sing. There's a power to free.